to Hope in Christ Fellowship. We were so glad that uh, you were able to come and be with us in the house this morning. Those that are watching by Facebook later this week through YouTube, we're thankful for you joining us this morning. We just consider you to be part of our faith family here at Hope in Christ. If you ever have uh, any type of prayer request or anything, please let that be known in the comments or email us or text us. We're in the series entitled Unshakable, Unshakable, Thriving No Matter What Hits You. Uh, if you've lived any amount of time of life, you realize that life throws a lot of things at you uh, from the day you're born till the day you die. Anybody experienced life ever throwing anything at you? I mean, sometimes life throws some positive things at you, but uh, a lot of times life throws some stinky things at you too, doesn't it? Well, how, how can we be equipped as children of God? How can we be equipped as Christians to be unshakable? Well, it's been the theme of this service from the time we walked in this morning up till now. We're just going to continue talking about that. The way that we can be unshakable is to be built upon the foundation, the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Brother Darrell has been preaching through the book of John. The very opening verses of the book of John says this, In the beginning was the... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. See, when we're built upon the solid rock, when we're built upon the Word of God, when we're built upon the Lord Jesus Christ, we are unshakable. Christ is in us. We are in Christ. The indwelling Holy Spirit is a gift from God that has been given to us to empower us, to comfort us, to teach us, to keep us, to guide us through life from the point of new birth till the Lord calls us home. And folks, listen, we have, say we have, we already have every resource necessary to live a very successful, thriving, spirit-filled, God-glorifying, Christ-exalting life. We have that. You say, well, Brother Steve, I... I hear what you're saying, and, and I believe what you're saying, and I agree with what you're saying, but it doesn't always work. Well, not God's fault. It's not Jesus' fault. It's not the Holy Spirit's fault. It's not the Word's fault. So when it's not working, who's to blame? Me, me. God has equipped me with everything I need to thrive and not just survive. And just like this precious family, what a testimony, what a testimony. Talking about life throwing something at you, a 14-year-old daughter? 14-month-old, it's contagious, ain't it, Jim? It's contagious. 14, I, the mind said 14 months, but the lips said 14 years a 14-month-old precious little baby girl, in our way of thinking, taken so prematurely, but in God's way of thinking, just on time. Just on time. I mean, immediately my heart begins to think, what, what is it that God knew in His sovereignty, what God knew that He was keeping that precious little baby 
from in this world. See, the problem is we are so attached to this world, aren't we? We have made this world our home, and we're not interested in home. Home is a fairy tale land that may be or may not be, and hopefully we might get there, we might not get there, but listen, home's home, folks. And to know that God is still calling people home, what a blessing, what a blessing. As I said, let's turn to the Old Testament book of Daniel with me, if you will, chapter 1. Take out your listing guides and lick the end of your pencil and get it ready to take some notes this morning, okay? Today we're in part two. Today we're in part two of this series, Unshakable. We're going to be talking today about when you're pressured to conform. Anybody feeling any pressure from the world to conform to its thinking and its ideology and its way of doing things? Anybody feeling any pressure from the world in 2020? If you're breathing, you're being pressured. If you're breathing, you're being pressured. What this series is all about is, again, we're going to the rock. We're going to the foundation. We're going to our source of truth and strength, and we're, we're, we're just skimming the surface. We're, we're not doing a deep, in-depth study of Daniel. What we're doing is we're just, we're just skimming the surface, and we're looking at the life that Daniel was blessed and even challenged to live, and, and we're, we're, we're looking at his life, and we're learning some valuable lessons, and, and we're watching some very valuable principles that are being lived out in his life that allowed him, beginning as a 15-year-old teenage boy, King Nebuchadnezzar has come into uh, Israel and, and conquered that land and taken 25% of all the inhabitants back to the Babylonian Empire and Daniel is one of these young men that's been called into the palace to be reconditioned, to be reprogrammed, to, to, to live the Babylonian way instead of God's way. And Daniel is learning very valuable lessons. He's exerting great wisdom that his parents has poured into him. And he's living out this, these principles that are allowing him to live an unshakable life while being held against his will in captivity in Babylon. And we're going to learn from Daniel's life how to take a stand, how, how to be like Daniel. In, in today's culture, in 2020, God needs some Daniels. God, God needs some male Daniels and some female Daniels. We'll call you Daniels, okay? We need some Daniels and some Daniels in the kingdom of God, standing unmovable and unshakable in such a time as what we're facing today. Today, we're going to focus on the tests. We're going to focus on the test that Daniel faced while being held captive there in Babylon. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 7, in verse 3, fire, fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but the Lord tests the heart. Uh, one of the points we made last week, we was talking about uh, four oppressors, four, four things that come against us to test us. And we talked about number one is who? Number one's old number one, isn't it? Uh, we, we cause most of the difficulties we face in life. We talked about number two being the world. The world coming against us, the world hurling things at us, 
and how that that challenges our faith and how that brings difficulty into our life. And then we talked about old Slewfoot. We talked about Satan, how that he's working against us and, and he's throwing difficulties in our life. And then number four may have been a surprise to some of y'all, but if you've been a Christian any amount of time and, and, and you're ranking in the higher levels of spiritual maturity and you're a person of the Word of God and a person of prayer, you know, you know that God himself will place us in difficult circumstances to force us to grow, to force us to grow. And that's what Proverbs 17.3 says, fire Fire is used to test silver and gold, but God also uses fire, and God uses fire to test our hearts. So I got a question for you. It's a stupid question. It really is. But sometimes you have to, you have to shake things up by asking stupid questions. Here, here's a, it's a good question, but, but after, I, after I give you the question, you'll probably say, why did he ask that? You know? Who, who would answer negative to this question? Here's the question. How many of you want God's blessings in your life? Say amen. I told you. Ain't that silly to ask a question like that? How many wants God's blessings in your life? Well, on the front end, you're like, yeah. But like we talked last week, as Western civilization Christians, as Western cultured Christians, we want the product without the process, right? We live in a microwave society. We want to walk over to the freezer, pull it out, take the wrapping off, put it in the microwave, and it'll be ready to eat in three minutes. And, and because of that, that's how we view the Christian life. We want, we want to live any way we want to live. We want to do anything we want to do. We want to go anywhere we want to go. We want to spend our time and our money on our resources, on everything. We want to spend our time energy and resources on. But at the same time, we want the windows of heaven just to gape open wide, and we just want God to pour all of his blessings into our life. We want the product without the process. And I hate to bust your bubble, but it never has worked that way. It's not working this way today, and it never will work this way. God cannot be manipulated. God has a process. And if you want blessings, if you want God's blessings in your life, you've got to decide whether you're content just to survive or whether you truly want to thrive. And the choice is yours. I mean, do you just want to cruise through life surviving? Or do you want God's blessings in your life? Do you want to thrive instead of just surviving? Sounds a lot like me. First point I want to make as we begin looking at a couple of the life principles we see in Daniel's life. Let's pause for prayer and we'll go into the first point. Holy Father, we're thankful today that you are God. We're thankful that you're enthroned in heaven today with your Son and our Savior seated there at your right hand. And we're thankful for the Holy Spirit that descends from your throne room and, and dwells in us and empowers us and encourages us and comforts us and has been sent to keep us. Father, we sincerely, 
I know I can speak for myself, and I speak in faith for this congregation that, God, our hearts, we want to be blessed. And, Father, we're willing to go through the process to receive the product of blessings. So, Father, today as we look to your word, we ask again that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We pray that you give us minds to comprehend and understand, and we pray that you give us hearts to receive your word gladly and confess our sins and repent and turn to you and be obedient to the words that we hear today. Father, help us not just be hearers of the word of God, but help us to be doers of the word of God. Guide us through this message today. Help us hide behind the cross of Christ and allow the people to only hear and see Jesus and the message of hope that he delivers to humanity. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said. The first principle I want to give you this morning is this. Before every blessing, now you said you wanted to be blessed. Did did I understand that correctly? If you want to be blessed, shout amen. All right, if you want to be blessed, you've got to understand, first of all, this first life principle we see at work in Daniel's life is this. Before every blessing, there is always a testing. Again, we are spoiled Western Christians. We've, we've kind of taken what the Bible said and, and we've westernized it and we've made it American and we've made it our own. And that doesn't work. That doesn't work. We, we got to go to the, the, the deep truths of the source of the Word of God. And, and if you begin studying God's Word from Genesis through the end of Revelation, here's what you're going to learn. When you see God's people and you see those people being blessed, the first thing you'll realize is this. Before God blesses, He always tests. Before every blessing, there's always a testing. If you're going to be blessed by God, you must be first tested by God. Why? Because God wants to make sure you're ready for the blessing. Because with blessings comes influence. God, God, God needs to know that you're ready and you're capable and you're spiritually mature enough to handle what He wants to pour into your life. So, so He begins to test your character. He tests your character. He tests your faithfulness. He, he tests your generosity, your, your ability to give what He gives you away and give to others, to, to place into other people's lives. He begins to test your humility to see if you're humble enough to receive what He wants to pour into your life. He begins to test your integrity, your loyalty, your faithfulness, your truthfulness. And if you pass the test, then you get blessed. Then you get blessed. The Apostle Paul The Apostle Paul was a very, very, very blessed man. In fact, he wrote most of the New Testament. Now, you have to be a blessed individual to write Scripture. I mean, but but think about this. To be very, very, very blessed means that Paul had to be very, very, very tested. I mean, you just read throughout the book of Acts, and you, you read the epistles that... That, that Paul pinned down. My goodness, what he had to go through to get where he got to. My goodness, just, just I challenge you to dig into Paul's life and, 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 and see all the things that he went through. He spells it out for us. He was a very blessed man, but he was a very tested man. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4, Paul said, we speak God's message. Listen, 
We speak God's message because God tested us. And then you'll notice the very next phrase after and is, God tested us and God trusted us. Now, now what if he had left, what if he had uh, what if he had left out God tested us, then then we're back to the American way of thinking. We get the product without the process. But Paul says, no, if you want the product, if you want the blessing, you're going to have to go through the process. You're going to have to go through the testing. We speak God's message because God tested us and trusted us to do it. When we speak, we are not trying to please people, but God who does what? Who tests our hearts. I want you to uh, circle or underline in your listening guide there, God tested us, and God trusted us. In the weeks ahead, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see that Daniel, Daniel's character was repeatedly tested and tested and proved and proved, and Daniel continued to be blessed and blessed and blessed. And each time he passed the test, God gave him more insight. God gave him more influence. Did you know this, that God shared information with Daniel that he had never shared with anybody else on planet Earth up until this time? Daniel in the Old Testament, Daniel in the Old Testament, and John the Apostle in the New Testament are the only two people that God revealed how the end times was going to play out. Now, for God to share information like that with you, for God to trust you in that manner, then God is going to test you and test you and test you. And when you pass the test, then God continues to bless. So why did God show these things to Daniel? Because he had tested Daniel. He knew that he could trust Daniel. Life principle number two. God tests us with stress before he trusts us with success. I don't like that, do you? I mean, that's not, the way I, I, that's not the way I would have written the plan had it been me, but guess what? I'm not God. I'm far from God. But God says this is the way it's going to play out. I'm going to test you with stress before I trust you with success. Last week we looked at the first test. We looked at the first test, which is when you go through a major change. I mean... Think about Daniel. He's 15 years old. He's been ripped away from his parents. He's been ripped away from his family. He's been ripped away from everything familiar. He's been taken to a foreign nation. Can you say major change? I mean, we we gathered yesterday out at Mom's. All all of our family gathered out there, all the kids and the grandkids and the great-grandkids, and we get there, and yesterday afternoon around 4 o'clock when we got there, it's pretty warm outside. And guess what? The power was out. And we're whining and complaining because we're having to go through some terrible change. It was a change, but it wasn't a change. It wasn't enough change to cripple us. It wasn't enough change to hinder us drastically. We still had a wonderful, great time at mom's yesterday. But see, again, Americans, Western cultured Christians, we whine and complain about 
everything that doesn't go just like we want it to go. Somebody could shout amen if you're truthful. That's who we are, isn't it? It's who we are. No, Daniel's facing some major change. Hey, our nation is going through a major change right now. Our nation is going through a major change right now. Brother Steve, what do you think about that? I think God's testing us. I think God is testing His children. I think God is testing Christians. I think God is testing fellowships and churches. And I believe God is testing us right now to see if we're worthy of His blessings. To to see if we really can hold the banner up high and continue proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ to see if we're willing to continue to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength even as culture continues to decay. And if we stay the course, and as Brother Jim and Brother Darrell were saying this morning, if we dive into the Word of God and continue to absorb the Word of God, and if we spend a good amount of time, a proper amount of time on our faces before God in prayer, and if we're faithful to what God has called us to do, I believe God will continue to bless His people. But I do. I believe we're being tested. Last week we talked about the five things that God wants to do in our lives. The five things you need to learn when you're going through major change. He inspects us. He corrects us. He directs us. He protects us. And then He perfects us. God's trying to tune up the church. God's trying to tune Christians up. He's wondering where we stand. He wants to know, are we standing with Him or are we standing with the world? There's nothing more ridiculous than a mug wump. Do I know what a mug wump is? A mug wump is somebody that can't make up their mind. They got their mug hanging off this side of the fence, and they got their wump hanging off this side of the fence, and there they sit straddling the fence. Don't be a mug wump in 2020. Be a sold-out child of God, full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Word of God, full of prayer, full of the power of God. Be a, be a light on a hill shining light to everyone everywhere. Be who God wants you to be. Be unshakable. If you missed last week's message, I I encourage you to go back and listen to that either on our Facebook page or on our YouTube channel. If you missed last week's message, you need every single one of these messages we're preaching so you can stay on course as we move forward to this. You're going to have to know how to handle significant changes in your life because I promise you we are seeing changes and I promise you we're going to continue to see more and more changes if God allows time to go forward. Today we're going to look at the different kinds of tests. These tests are social pressures. That's what Daniel was facing. He was facing social pressures. And by that I mean when you're pressured to conform to something that you know just isn't right. It's just flat out wrong. You know it's not right, but society... Society, culture is telling you, you need to conform to this. You need to change your ways. You need to be more like this. Again, as we saw last week, King Nebuchadnezzar had invaded the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. And he's taken 25% of the people hostage and carried them off to Babylon. 
And then he tells his men to choose out from among those that's been brought there. He said, I want you to go choose out. I want you to pick out and bring to me the smartest, the brightest, the best looking, the most gifted teenagers and all that bunch of people. I want you to bring them to my palace. I've got a project. Daniel happens to be one of these teens that was chosen by King Nebuchadnezzar. And so, as I've already said repeatedly, he's only 15 years old. That's important to know. Say 15 years. There you go. How old is Daniel? He's 15 years old. Here's what King Nebuchadnezzar says. He says, you guys are going to go through a three-year indoctrination program. We're going to change you, is what King Nebuchadnezzar is saying. He said, we're going to wipe out your memory of Israel. You don't need the Bible anymore. You don't need God anymore. You, you're, we're going to brainwash you. We're going to secularize you. We're going to indoctrinate you. You're going to be trained for three years. Then you're going to serve in my court, not in God's court. And some of you are going to be promoted to even higher positions. So what do they do? Well, they teach them a new language. In this three-year indoctrination program, they teach them a new language. They teach them new habits. They give them a new religion. They've given them new names. We covered this last week, but I want us to look at it again. In verse 7, it says the boys were all given Babylonian names. Daniel was renamed Belshazzar. Hananiah was renamed Shadrach. Mishael was, real, was renamed Meshach. And Azariah was renamed Abednego. So what is really going on here? What, what are they truly hoping to achieve here? Why are they renaming these young men? Because their Hebrew names all connect to the one true God. They're named after God. Their, their names are significant names that bring glory and honor to Almighty God. And, and King Nebuchadnezzar says we can't have that going on here in this culture. For instance, Daniel in the Hebrew means God is my judge. God is my judge. So he's renamed Belshazzar, which means in the Babylonian culture, Baal protects me. The false god, B-E-L, Baal, Belshazzar. Baal was a pagan god of Babylon. Then Hananiah, his name in Hebrew means God is gracious. God is gracious. So we have God is my judge, God is gracious. So Hananiah is renamed Shadrach. Shadrach was the moon god of Babylon. Then Hananiah, his name in Hebrew, uh, and then, then Mishael, his name in Hebrew means who is like God. In other words, there is no other God. So they've got to, they've got to eradicate that, don't they? He's renamed Meshach, which is a pagan fertility god in Babylon. And Azariah, whose name in Hebrew, whose name in Hebrew means God has helped me, is renamed Abednego, which means servant of Nebo, a pagan god of literacy. Now that makes a little more sense, doesn't it? Oh, they changed their names. What, what, what's in a name? Everything is in a name. Everything is in a name. 
Not only did they give them new names, new identities, new jobs, and new clothes. But they said, you're, you're going to begin eating a, ho- a whole new diet of food. We're going to change your diet. You're not going to eat your Jewish food anymore. You're only going to be allowed to eat Babylonian food. You're going to eat what the king eats. What's going on? A total reprogramming, a complete assimilation process. They're taking all of God out of them, all of Israel out of them, and they're turning them into pagan Babylonians. Sound familiar? And so that's where we pick up the story today. Daniel chapter 1, verse 5 and verse 8. The king ordered that the young men should eat the same food and wine served at the king's table while they were being trained. After that, they were to become servants of the king of Babylon. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Say defile. Daniel resolved not to defile himself by eating the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Daniel refused to go along with the program. Daniel said, I'm not going to defile myself. But what does that word defile mean? I mean, that's just not part of our everyday language anymore, is it? That's more of a biblical word. It's an old English word that means to corrupt, to pollute, to contaminate. It means a loss of purity, a loss of purity. So what's wrong with eating Babylonian food? I mean, if it's good enough for a king, what's wrong with the name change? What's wrong with a new diet? What's the big deal? I mean, why would Daniel... Again, how old is Daniel? Why would a 15-year-old boy take on the most powerful man on the planet? Why would he take on the most powerful man in the world and say, I'm sorry, your food's not good enough to eat. I'm not going to eat it. Well, there's three reasons Daniel refused to conform in this situation, the food situation. First, it's a health reason. First, it's a health reason. The king's food was not healthy food. The king's food was junk food. Did you ever see a skinny king back in the day? Then there was a cultural reason. God, Almighty God, the Creator, the the God who had chosen the nation of Israel to be His peculiar people, God had given the nation of Israel stringent dietary laws. Today we call them kosher laws. That came from God. And God had given them this strict diet to observe because He didn't want the Jews to forget that they were a unique people, that they was chosen out from all the rest of the world, even down to God asking them, you need to eat this way because you're my people and here's my plan for your eating. Not because they were more special than anyone else. God just says, I'm choosing. And in His sovereignty, God says, I'm choosing you. And since you're going to be my people, you're going to live life the way I want you to live life. So Daniel says, wait, I'm supposed to eat this way. I'm not defiling myself with the king's table. Let me show you a couple of verses here. Here's what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 through 5. 
false teachers will order people to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving. For everything God created is good. Say good. Everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. In other words, God said, if I made it, you can eat it. God said, if I made it, you can eat it. God said, I didn't make any junk food. I made healthy food. God says, if I made it, you can eat it. Sorry, God didn't make Twinkies. God didn't make bonbons. If it don't grow in the ground or grow on a tree or grow in the bush, God didn't make it. I mean, if you pick up a food label and you find 50 ingredients on there and you can't even pronounce the name of them, we probably ought not be eating that stuff, right? I'm preaching to the choir here right now. God says, if I made it, you can eat it. But listen to what Jesus said in the New Testament in Matthew 15, 11. When it all boils down, listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, you are not defiled by what you eat. You are defiled by what you say and do. This is the line that Daniel's thinking. Does that make sense to you? What he's saying is it isn't what goes into your mouth that defiles you. It's what comes out of your mouth that defiles you. It's not what you eat that makes you unclean because if God made it, the Bible says we can eat it. Jesus said it's what's what's coming out of your mouth. It's those vile words that you speak. It's those unproductive words that you speak. It's those ugly words that you speak. It's those judgmental words that you speak. It's those hateful words that you speak that comes out of your heart and out of your bad attitude. That's what defiles you according to Jesus. Would I be safe to say in layman's terms, we need to watch our mouth? Two amens. Need to dig a little deeper then, apparently. As Christians, as children of the Most High God, who will one day stand before God and give an account for every word we speak. Is that Bible? Every idle word we speak, God is going to say, why did you say that? Boy, some of y'all are going to be in judgment a long time. Why did you say that? Jesus said, you're not defiled by what you eat. You're defiled by what you say. And guess what follows what you say? What you do. But what's going on here? Why is Daniel rejecting this? Well, health, culture. But there's a third reason. There's a third reason. This is a spiritual attack on Daniel's identity. This is a spiritual attack on Daniel's identity. These dietary changes are just another step in the reprogramming. 
They're trying to get forget him. They're trying to get him to forget about God. Where did his dietary plan come from? Where did his name come from? See? The pressure's on. Trying to force these young men to conform to pagan society. They want these boys to forget their spiritual heritage. So they're changing everything, including their names and their diets. They said, we're going to, repro- we're going to reprogram you. We're going to secularize you. We're, we're, we don't want you to be spiritual Jews anymore. We want you to be secular Babylonians. You could very easily, you could very easily replace spiritual Jews with the, with the word Christian right here. And you could very easily replace Babylonian with American right here. This is exactly what we're facing in our nation right now. And I'm not too impressed. I'm not too impressed with the Christian reaction. I mean, in all honesty, I could. I could I'm not going to. I, I could walk over and, and take up this iPad right now and log into Facebook and look at many Facebook profiles and look at many Twitter accounts and look at many Instagram accounts and say, hmm, say you're a Christian, are you? No reflection here. I mean, I know people in this community, and you know people in this community. I'm not judging anyone. But, but for the most part, I know uh, locally, I know a lot of people in Monterey. And, and for the most part, I know who profess to know Jesus and who don't profess to know Jesus. And I'll be honest with you, it's hard to tell on social media whether you're saved and born again or not. That'd be a good place for an Amen. Or you could crawl under your chair and say, oh me, Jesus said it's not what goes in the mouth, it's what comes out of your mouth. In this first test, Daniel shows four character qualities. And these character qualities are critically important. Because we're going to go back to that question I asked you when we first started. How many want God's blessings in your life? A few of you are saying, well, let, let me think about it, preacher. I, I, I answered a little hastily. I, I'm putting some thought in it. Let me get back with you. Because I, I, I kind of like the way my life is right now. I mean, I get to play church. Yeah, I mean, I... I spoof up and dress up and clean up and I watch what I say for about an hour and a half on Sunday morning. And I mean, other than that, I mean, I kind of like being worldly. You know, preacher, you ought to try sometimes. There's a lot of fun living worldly. Yes, there is for a season. But it's a death sentence. It's a death sentence. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says, the Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. But know when that season is over, you're going to die. Critically important character qualities. Because if you want God's blessings in your life, you must. Say, I must. 
You must allow God to build these four character qualities within you. Number one, number one is integrity. Number one is integrity. How old was Daniel? As a 15-year-old boy, Daniel stood with impeccable integrity. He never forgot who he was. He never forgot who he belonged to. He never forget, forgot who his God was. He never forgot where he came from. He said, listen, king, you can change my address. You can change my name. You can change my clothing. But I'll tell you one thing, king, you'll never change my heart. I may have to eat different. I may have to dress different. You may call me by another name, but my Father in heaven will forever call me Daniel. You, you can do anything you want to do, but I'm telling you right now, and Daniel lived to be 85 years old, and he was promoted five times in that kingdom. He never went back home to Israel. But because of his integrity, God continued to promote him and promote him and test him and bless him and promote him and promote him and test him and bless him. He came to number two seat in all the kingdom of Babylonian. How did that happen? Because he was a man of integrity. He never forgot who he was. Daniel resolved not to defile himself. He said, I'm not going to be conformed to the values of this pagan society. Romans chapter 2, verse 2. Don't conform yourself to the values of this world. I don't know if you realize this or not. Six years ago today, this church began. Six years ago today. Brother Steve, why didn't you say anything about that? We could have had a big ordeal about that. Why? It's the Lord's day, isn't it? He's still on his throne. He's still in control. Well, I just told you, so let's give God a hand clap and say thank you for six years. Now, the reason I brought that up right then was I can't count. I cannot count the number of times in the last six years that I have referenced Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform yourself to the values of this world. This verse will do two things in a church. It'll empty the pews and it'll fill the pews. In six years, there has been close to a thousand people. I keep records. In the past six years, there's been close to a thousand people walk in those doors and walk out those doors. I'm thinking that the folks that have stuck around know the value of this verse. And I know for a fact that a whole lot of people who have been here left because of this verse. 
They think worldly. They live worldly. They spend their money on worldly pleasures. They spend all their time on worldly pleasures. They're worldly thinking. We've had folks here that when, when they finally decided that after years and years and years that Steve was not going to give up on that stupid saying of, it's not about me and it's not about you, it's all about, when they, when they found that I wasn't going to cave on that, well, it was all about them. Titles, positions, power, the, the decision-making process. Listen, I learned a long time ago, the simpler you keep church, the better off it is. We have one chief, and we're all the Indians. Can I get an Amen. Well, Brother Steve, you got a title. You got a title. How many times do you hear me walking around spitting out my title? Huh? I hope to goodness, and I don't mean to put anybody on the spot, but I know we have some guests here today. I, I don't go up to guests and, Steve Looper, lead pastor, hoping Christ fellowship. Huh? For a fact, people have visited this church before, and because of the way I dress and because of the way I conduct myself, I walk behind the pulpit and they go, He's the preacher? He's wearing jeans. He's nice. He's humble. He treated me like somebody. He didn't look down on me. People don't want that. They want to be important. They want to be worshipped. It's the spirit of Satan in people like that. They want to be lifted up. They want to be noticed. They want to be patted on the back. We had this one couple left, and I had a conversation before they left. I said, why are you leaving? I talked to them separately. You always get the truth when you separate people. And the wife said, I'll tell you why we're leaving. Because my husband doesn't get enough credit around here for what he does. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Who gets the credit of hope in Christ? His name is in the title. The Lord Jesus Christ. Need I remind you, need I remind you that nobody on this planet will breathe another breath if God doesn't say, That's the way it works. Not one other heartbeat will, 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 will beat unless God says, beat, beat, beat. I don't just come up with slogans. I don't just adopt slogans. I didn't, I didn't come up with that saying, but I adopted it, and I adopted it for life. If you want to be a hope, you want to be part of Hope in Christ Fellowship, you're going to have to learn real quick. It ain't about you. It ain't about me. It's all about Jesus. Now, if you run with that, you're, you're welcome to run with us. If not, spare me some trouble and you some trouble and hit the road, Jack, and don't come back no more, no more, no more, no more. Or get right with God and pull up a chair and set a spell. That wasn't in the notes nowhere. That's just a bonus. I won't even charge him for that. 
Do not conform yourself to the values of this world. Instead, boy, I love them insteads and them buts, don't you? Instead, let God transform you, listen, by a what? Complete. Complete. When God transforms you completely, what does he live out? Let God transform you by a complete change. And here's the very series we just left out of, refocusing how you think. Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Let God transform you by a complete change of how you think. Then you will be able to know the will of God. As a believer, you have two choices in life. You will either be conformed to the world or be transformed by the renewing of your mind by God through God's Word. It's the only two choices you have. You'll either be conformed to this world, that is, you'll be like everybody else. You'll think like everybody else. You'll talk like everybody else. You'll spend your money and your time and your resources like everybody else does. You'll look the same. You'll talk the same. You'll dress the same. You'll respond the same or you'll be transformed by the Word of God and the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. If you allow the Word of God to transform you, then and only then will you know God's will for your life. Sadly, there's a lot of Christians who say, you know, I, I hear you talk a lot about fulfilling my life mission. I hear you talk a lot about knowing what your spiritual gifts are, knowing knowing the ministry God has called you to, knowing why you're here on planet Earth, but I just can't figure it out. Because you're conformed to the world. Conformed could easily be translated into layman's terms as wrapped up in. You're so wrapped up in the world that you have very little thoughts about God. Really, the only thought you have about God is, God, are you really going to send me to hell when I die? You're more interested in fitting in the world than standing out for God. As long as you're worried about conforming, as long as you're worried about looking the same and talking the same and acting the same and speaking the same and being cool. As long as you worry about conforming, you're never going to be worried about being transformed. Therefore, you're never going to know God's will for your life. Daniel reveals his integrity. He doesn't forget whose he is. He doesn't forget who he is. He doesn't forget who God made him to be. The second test, the second thing the test revealed is discipline. Number one was integrity. Number two, as Daniel was being tested, God saw that not only was Daniel a man of integrity, or should I say a boy, 15-year-old boy of integrity, but this 15-year-old boy was disciplined. He, he controlled his ego and he controlled his appetite. The Bible said Daniel made up his mind not to eat the food and wine given to him by the king. Again, 
I need you to think about this. I need us just to pull up and park and think about this for just a minute. You're Daniel. Let's just pretend to everybody in the room, you're Daniel. Now, I want you to think the way a 15-year-old boy thinks. Now, you women, you may think you got us figured out, but if you've never been a 15-year-old boy, you ain't got a clue. I'm telling you, you ain't got a clue what a 15-year-old boy thinks. Thank God for redemption and salvation. Can I get an amen, man? I want you to just try to think as Daniel must have been thinking. You're Daniel. You're a teenager. You're 15 years old. You have been taken by force away from your country. You're never going to see your parents again. You wake up one morning, you realize, I'm in a foreign country. Mom and daddy ain't here. Hmm? Then the most powerful man in the country offers you all kinds of perks. I mean, this is Hollywood movie, is it? This, this, this is like Fueler's Day Off on crack. Anybody ever see Fierce Bueller's Day Off? That's what 15-year-old boys do. The most powerful man in that country says, I want you to serve on my staff. And if you'll come on board as my staff, I'm going to give you pleasure. I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you prestige. You're, you're going to receive all the perks of living in my palace. You're going to be pampered. You're going to get, be given preferential treatment. You're going to be given the best education. You're going to be given the very best, most expensive gourmet food on the planet. Now, what 15-year-old boy in his right mind says, no, I don't think so. Exactly. None. But Daniel is disciplined because Daniel is a man of integrity. But we see this, we see this every day in our culture. You see young men being pursued because they're good at football or they're good at baseball or they're good at soccer and all of a sudden they're drafted by the NBA or the NFL or some major league team of whatever genre of sport they choose. And they're given an enormous salary. I mean, you think about people, you, you can go back through time and you can think for yourself. You hear all the times where just a couple of years ago this young man won the Heisman Trophy and now he's the top draft pick and he's drawn the biggest, largest salary of anybody in the league. And now he's being fired because he has no integrity and he has no discipline and his arrest record is this long because he loves to party all the time. Babylon, America. Daniel is incredibly disciplined as a 15-year-old kid without parents. He says to the most powerful man in the world, King Nebuchadnezzar, I'm not going to serve you. I'm not going to serve you because, or no, no, I apologize. Daniel says, listen, King, I am going to serve you. I'm going to serve you because I know that my God put me here. I wouldn't be here apart from my sovereign heavenly Father 
placing me here. I'm here for a purpose. I'm here for a reason. I'm a man of integrity. I'm a man of discipline. And yes, I will serve you. You're a pagan king. I know that. But listen, I'm not going to be indebted to you. I'm not going to be indebted to you. I'm not going to be co-opted by you. I'm not going to be conformed by you. I'm not going to be seduced by you. You can give me all the perks you can come up with, but I'm never going to forget that I'm not one of you. I know who I am. You can call me Belshazzar all day long. My name's Daniel. That's who God says I am. I know a lot of adults who's never learned this lesson. Can I give you an example? You say, I'd rather you not, but go ahead. Just because you can afford it doesn't mean you ought to buy it. Talking about discipline. Me and JJ was talking about this Friday. We, we went down to Smithville and picked up some young men who had been down there camping for the week and were driving back. Uh, JJ had drove the, the week before. And he was telling me how old his truck was, how many miles it was, and he's just thankful to have a truck. So I drove my old truck Friday. Look at here, 2004. Anybody want to do the math on that? About 16-year-old, 221,000 miles. Purrs like a kitten. We got there and back, didn't we, brother? I mean, a few lights come on. We had to come out and look at the tires, make sure they was aired up. Got a false alarm there on the low tire gauge, but... Brother Steve, you, you, you can't afford nothing newer than a 2004 truck? I can't. But every time I go out in the morning and jump in my old 2004 Titan and turn that key, guess what happens? Fires up and goes. I wouldn't be a bit scared right now to jump in it and head toward California and come back in it. What are you trying to say, Steve? We need to practice discipline in our life. Just because it's offered to us doesn't mean we have to Take advantage of it, right? That's called discipline, and God honors discipline. Listen to Romans chapter 6, verse 13. Verse 13. Do not let any part of your body, that includes your head, your mind, your eyes, your hands, your feet, your ears, never let a part of your body, do not let any part of your body become a tool of wickedness used for sinning. Instead, Give yourself completely to God because you want to be a tool in the hands of God used for His good purposes. Not to mention, I've not had a truck payment in a lot of years. Some of y'all are jealous, ain't you? Daniel decided as a teenager, I want to be used by God, not the world. Daniel decided, I want to be used by God, not the culture. Daniel said, I want to be transformed by God, not transformed by the world. Daniel had integrity. Daniel had discipline. Daniel had courage. Daniel had courage. Daniel looked around. He said, I don't know where best stands, but I know where I stand. I stand with God. Daniel had courage to stand alone. Took an enormous amount of courage for Daniel to take on the most powerful man in the world and ask him to exempt him from his eating plan. 
You know what the king could have done when he got word that Daniel said, I'm not eating your food, king? Later on in the book, Daniel winds up in a lion's den. I only know of one guy that's ever escaped a lion's den. His name's Daniel. Well, I've seen in the circus, those, those, those cats are trained. Don't Give me a break. We're talking about hungry, wild lions that love to eat people. Courage. He had courage. And what made it even more difficult was he's not the only Jewish boy in the program. Remember, he had three friends who went along with him. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Those are easy to pronounce in his real names. But there's a lot of other young Jewish men who've been taken captive who saw no problem with eating the king's food. Daniel is part of the minority, not the majority. Very few people have the courage to be in the minority. Why? It's a whole lot easier to run with the crowd, isn't it? It's a whole lot easier to run with majority. Daniel says, listen, I don't care if the whole world is doing it. It's not right, and I'm not going to do it. Most Christians today say, I ain't no big deal. Everybody else is doing it. When you say, I don't care what everybody else is doing, that's wrong. I'm sticking with what God says is right. That takes courage, and that's the kind of courage God blesses. Exodus 23 Verse 2 says, it is plain as the nose on my face. Never follow the crowd in doing wrong. And don't be swayed in your testimony by the mood of the majority. Question. How many times have you been at the office or how many times have you been at school, at work, or wherever, and somebody starts talking about values that you know are not right? You've been in on the conversation and you're there amongst them and they're talking about what they're talking about. It's worldly. It's contrary to the Word of God. It's wrong. It's sinful. But you choose not to say anything. You choose not to contradict them because the mood of the majority has manipulated you. But what happens, your testimony gets shut down and your integrity is questioned and you show that you don't have discipline and you show that you're a coward and you have no courage. What is God looking for today in the church, in His children, in Christians? He's looking for men and women full of integrity, full of discipline, and full of courage. Daniel decided he wasn't going to follow the crowd. He decided he wasn't going to be swayed by the mood of the majority. Can I, can I call your attention to this? If you'll read the book, the majority, 99% of the time, the majority is wrong. Y'all need some sugar? You got low blood sugar or something? I mean, response time is getting farther and farther out. The majority of the time, the majority is wrong. Never follow the crowd. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 says, Stand true to what you believe. Be courageous. Be strong. What's true? The book is true. 
Anything contrary to the book is not true. But everybody's saying. Exactly. Stay true to the book. Stay true to the book. Stand true to what you believe. Be courageous. Be strong. Today, more than ever, we need men and women of courage in a culture that is turning wrong into right and darkness into light and bitterness into sweet and, and all these things that we looked at last week. And even Jim mentioned them this morning. The fourth test revealing in Daniel's life was humility. Humility. He was tactful with authority. I think as Christians, we truly need to bite into this one. All of them are wonderful. All of them are needful. But listen, folks, in the United States of America today, in the culture we're in today, with what we're facing as a nation today, we need to concentrate on number four, humility. Daniel was tactful with authority. So I invite you to just pull up a chair and listen closely. When Daniel couldn't do, when Daniel wouldn't do what authority had asked him to do, he said, I can't do this. This is against my beliefs. This is against my values. It's morally wrong for me to do this. This, this, this invades and this violates my conscience. And he's very, very wise because he's a man of integrity. He's a disciplined young man. He, he's a man that, that, that has the decision-making process. He, he is a disciplined young man, but he's also humble. The church needs to be humble. Christians need to be humble. Christians don't need to be blabbermouths. Christians don't need to be loud and proud. No, tell you where I stand. That's not Christian behavior. What's Christian behavior? The Lord Jesus Christ standing before Pilate, standing before the religious rulers. What's the mood of Jesus? What's the mind of Jesus? What's the words of Jesus? He's hanging on the cross, bleeding to death, and in humility, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't, they don't know what they're doing. Now, I'm not going to talk politics. I'm not going to get into that today, but I'm going to allude to it. The people who are preaching and performing and demonstrating and making laws and everything else that is contrary to this book, I know it's easy to be angered at these folks. But you need to show them pity. They are actively dead in their trespasses and sins. Anybody, anybody that will stand and say it's okay to murder an unborn child is not a Christian. Not a Christian. This may be your last time here. Well, I hope God saves you. You cannot support murder 
of any kind and be a Christian. You cannot believe and demonstrate and support same-sex marriage. If you support that, you're not a Christian. You can't be a Christian and believe that. Because everything I read in the New Testament about Christianity is old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And, and you, you think like Jesus and you believe like Jesus and you support the things that Jesus supports and you're against those things that Jesus is against. Now, I just, I just picked on the two hot topics of the day. Now, let me get a third one in. All, say all, lives matter. All lives matter. Where'd you come up with that? For God so loved the world. Say the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, whosoever calls upon his name will never perish but have everlasting life. All lives matter. I can remember being a little taught in Sunday school. And one of the very first songs I can remember singing is this, red and yellow, black and white, they're all precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Now, I don't know about you. I can only testify for me. There is not a racial cell in my body. I don't see color. I don't see that distinction. Let me tell you what I see. It's really simple. i got to keep things simple. If you know me very well at all, you know that boy better keep it simple or we'll lose him. You don't tell him where we'll find him. I see boys and girls, men and women. You're either little or you're big. You're either male or you're female. Other than that, that's all I see. I don't see rich or poor. I don't see black or white. I don't see prominent or poor. I don't see that mess. That's what the world throws at you. That's what the world hits you with. That's not what God says. Humility, Christians. Humility, Christians. When it's wrong, it's wrong. We, we don't need to be fierce about that. We need to simply believe what we believe. Live what we believe, vote what we believe, and know that there's not a man on the planet going to make it any better before the Lord comes back. Red or blue, Democrat, Republican, Independent, Libertarian, you, you make up any words you want, America will never be great again. It will not be. It will not be great until the Lord Jesus Christ makes his appearing and he sets up his thousand-year millennial reign. When he is pronounced king of kings and lord of lords and all things is put under his feet, then the world will be great again because it will be under the lordship and headship and direction of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the meantime, it's a mess. It's going to stay a mess It's not going to go our way. 
It will never go our way until Jesus steps foot on this planet. Then it will go his way, not my way, not your way. In the meantime, have integrity. Please, be a person of integrity. Have discipline. Be people that are disciplined. Be full of courage. Be full of courage. But the icing on the cake, humility. Be humble. Be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. Daniel was tactful with authority. He was very wise in dealing with those in authority, and he shows great humility. The way Daniel made his appeal to the king Nebuchadnezzar and the authorities showed his high level of respect, not for the man, but for the office. For the office. Who is it that set up kingdoms and authorities on planet Earth? It's God. And it doesn't matter if it's a saint or a scoundrel in the office. The office deserves respect. And we're to live in humility. Daniel knew. Daniel knew that God had him right where he wanted him, the time he wanted him there for the reason he had him there. And Daniel knew, I'm here representing God. And I'm going to represent him well. He knew that God had allowed this pagan leader in his life to rule over him. Daniel knew and trusted the sovereignty of Almighty God. Michelle, this week, I heard her in the kitchen doing some dishes, and I heard her say, Dad, come in. From a distance, I said, what's the matter? You know, you don't go in there at that moment. You're just like, what's the matter? She said, I just broke my favorite coffee cup. Sure enough, she had dropped it, and the, the handle broke off. Steve and crazy glue, baby. Right? Superhero in disguise. I, I glued that thing back together and it was all fixed up. I said that to say this. Back on what I was talking about just a minute ago, that coffee mug was pretty easy to repair. I'm trying my best to convince you folks. And this is not an opinion. This is the book. This world is not repairable. Nowhere in this book does God say, I'm going to repair the planet. Here's what he's going to do. When the plan reaches its end, he's going to destroy it with fire. He's going to purify it. And John, in the book of Revelation, speaks the truth when he says, and I, John, under the leadership, I told you, God gave Daniel in the Old Testament and John in the New Testament, gave them the details of how it all comes to a close. Somebody heard close and got excited, didn't you? John was seeing the closing of this world and the beginning of the new, and John said, I, John, saw the new 
Not the repaired, not the glued together, not the fixed up. I saw the brand new city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. He said, because the old one but done away with. I, I, I'm, not going to, I'm not trying to insult you. I'm trying to convince you. You can't believe that this world is fixable. As a Bible-reading, Bible-studying, Bible-understanding child of God. So get that out of your thought process. It's not going to get better going forward. In your lifetime, has it gotten better or gotten worse? Everybody that says it's gotten worse, with your time on planet Earth, let me see your hand. It's gotten worse. And it's going to continue to get worse. Not getting better. Stop spending your time and energy and resources on trying to fix something that's not fixable. So what am I supposed to do? Be a Christian. Live the Christian life. Think the thoughts of Christ. Behave the way Christ behaves. Vote your convictions. Vote for truth. And place everything else in the hands of Almighty God where it is to begin with. You're talking about your stress level coming down. Huh? Daniel knew and trusted God. We got to get done. I, I'm, I'm not going to apologize, but we do got to get done. Then Daniel asked the chief official for permission to eat. Daniel's, Daniel's, Daniel's being humble. Daniel's using, Daniel's being tactful in how he approaches the situation. Daniel asked the chief official for permission to eat other things instead. Now, God had given the chief official great respect for Daniel. You see that? God gave a person in the king's court respect for Daniel. But he said, I'm afraid of my Lord the king who ordered that you eat his food and wine. But if you aren't as healthy as the others, I fear the king will have me beheaded. So next, Daniel talked it over with the guard appointed to look. Daniel talked it over with the guard appointed to look after Daniel and his three friends. And Daniel offered a suggestion. He's being tactful with authority. Daniel's asking questions. He made a suggestion. Well, tell you what, just test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. Again, a 15 year old boy is saying, Give me vegetables and water. I've got a gentleman in the community that I take a, a, a food box to every time we have Mission Center Day. And if it's full of vegetables, he gives, me the, he gives me the vegetables back. And he goes for the cold drinks and the pies and the cakes and the good food. Here's a 15-year-old boy saying, you keep your lamb chops, you, you keep your pastries, you, you keep that good stuff. Tell you what, for the next 10 days, we're just going to eat vegetables and drink water. 
Wow. Wow. So next, Daniel talked it over with the guard appointed to look after Daniel for his three friends. Daniel offered a suggestion. Just test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. Then see how healthy we look compared to the young men eating the king's food. Then you can decide whether or not to let us continue eating our diet. So the attendant agreed to try Daniel's suggestion. God has tested Daniel. God is trusting Daniel. God is blessing Daniel. Why? Because Daniel has not taken it into his own hands. He's trusting God. He's trusting God. Then you can decide or not to let us continue eating our diet. So the attendant agreed to try Daniel's suggestion. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel's friends looked healthier and better nourished than any of the others in the king's training program. So after that, the guard let them eat their own food. When the three-year training program was completed, all the young men was brought to Nebuchadnezzar who talked with each one individually. None impressed the king as much as Daniel and his three friends, so they were each promoted to positions in the king's service. Why? They didn't take matters in their own hands. They trusted God to take care of it, and God tested, and God blessed, and God promoted. Now, what do you want? What do you want? Well, I just... I want to be blessed, I want to be promoted, and, and I want things to go God's way. Then do it God's way and let God do the doing and we'll get God's results. Again, this is the first of five promotions we're going to see Daniel receive in his lifetime. Lots of people faced lots of battles in the Bible and each of them came up with ethical appeals. Queen Esther, in her story, did things God's way and received God's blessings. Joseph made the same appeal to Pharaoh. And, and Joseph did it God's way, and Joseph got God's results. Paul had to appeal to the pagan Roman officials when he was doing the missionary work throughout the Roman Empire, and so Daniel does it here. So how do you make a case to an authority? You need to know this skill that, that we're talking about here because you're going to have to use it. You're either going to have to use it with your employer, with the government, with the IRS, with the court system, with law enforcement, with a school teacher. There's always going to be a time you're going to have to make an appeal to a person in authority, and you need to know how to do it. You need to know it the Bible way. Now, there's six things I'm going to give you really quick, and we're going to come to a close. Six ways that you biblically make an appeal to people in authority. Number one, number one, how to make a case, how to make an appeal to authority. Develop a reputation for responsibility. Be known as a responsible person. Before you ever make an appeal to your employee, uh, to your employer or anybody that's, that, that, that uh, has authority over you, you already have to have a reputation of being a responsible person if they're going to pay attention to you. 
Proverbs 22, 29. If you do your job well, leaders will notice and you will serve before kings. Listen closely to me, church. Christians, Christians should have impeccable reputations. I ain't talking about your far distant past. I I don't know what God saved you from or saved you out of, but if you've got any track record of time of calling yourself a Christian, your reputation, your day-to-day life ought to prove out that you truly do know the Lord Jesus Christ, that you've been changed from the inside out. We should be known as the most responsible employees there are. We should be known as the best citizens there are. We should be known as the hardest workers. We should be known as the most trustworthy and most consistent people there are. If you're not, change to be so. Number two, number two, be humble, not belligerent. Repeat that one. Be humble and not belligerent. We're learning how to make a case, how to make an appeal to an authority figure. He's not turning this into a big national situation. He's not rebelling. He, he, he didn't go home and, and call all of his friends and put together a protest or a demonstration. They didn't make signs. They didn't go down to the courthouse and run around belligerently carrying signs saying, we ain't eating the king's food. We ain't eating the king's food. You don't see Daniel doing that stupidity. I know to get quiet this morning. What does the Bible say about how to approach authority? The Bible says to develop a responsible attitude, a responsible demeanor. Be humble. Don't be belligerent. Proverbs 25, 6 says, When you stand before the king, don't try to impress him and pretend to be important. Be humble. Be humble. I'm not important, but Jesus is. I'm not important. I don't want to be important. But Jesus is. Number three, don't be deceptive and don't be manipulative. If you've got a case or an appeal to make with the government, the IRS, your boss, a teacher, whoever, you start out by saying, you know, I'm sorry. I just can't do this. You don't storm in with guns blazing and your lawyer behind you threatening to sue the folks. You just show up and say, listen, in all humility and all discipline and with a responsible life to back it up, I'm just telling you, I, I, I can't do this. I'm sorry. It's against my conscience. It violates my belief. You don't lie about it. You don't manipulate and say, well, they won't hardly go for that, so I'm going to bend it and twist it to try to get them to kind of come around the, the back way to understand what I'm saying. No, just straightforward. Be honest. Don't be deceptive. Because when you start lying, God says, you're on your own now. When you start lying, when you start being deceptive and you start trying to manipulate the situation, God's saying, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not defending that. You're on your own. You're on your own. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, 
We reject all the shameful and underhanded methods. We do not try to trick anyone, and so we do not distort the Word of God. We will tell the truth before God, and all who are honest know that. Number four, know this. God always honors your honesty. Number four, appeal to their goals and their interests. You start with what they want, not what you want. Is that not exactly what Daniel did? So, so, Mr. Authority, remind me, I'm, I'm humble in this, I'm not belligerent, remind me what we're trying to accomplish here. Well, the king wants you to be healthy and smart and presentable so you can serve in his palace. Oh, okay, so you need me to be healthy, you need me to be smart, all these things. So we agree on the go. I want to be healthy. I want to be smart. I want to be everything God wants me to be. But let me appeal to you this way. How about you give us 10 days? Just, just hey, just entertain me here, Mr. Authority. Let's try this for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, if I don't deliver the goods that I'm telling you about, guess what? We'll do it your way. Now, any responsible person in authority... A lot of bosses in this room, people who've led supervisor roles. If it's, if it's anywhere within your authority to accept that appeal, you're probably going to do so, aren't you? How did it work out? At the end of the 10 days, they looked better and acted smarter and everything else than everybody else there. Why? Because God is honoring integrity and discipline, and courage, and all these things. Number five. Oh, this is so, so, so important. Always choose the right place, the right time, and the right words. Choose the right place, the right time, and the right words when you appeal to the authority, when you appeal to authority. First of all, the right place. What's the right place? Privately. Privately. This is common sense stuff right here. You don't get authorities to change by confronting them publicly and standing and screaming on the courthouse steps. You've done ticked them off now. You ain't getting nothing. It ain't happening. You've done shown yourself to be irresponsible. You've done shown yourself to be belligerent. And, and you don't even deserve to have a voice in this conversation any longer. Boy, if the world would just listen to this. If America would just listen to this. The right place, privately. All you do is solidify their opposition. You make them mad. They can't lose face now. They're not going to back down. You've lost and you haven't even started. You do it privately. You confront and you make your case and your appeal to an authority. Any person has authority in your life, you do that privately, and you do it at the right time. There is a right time and the right place to make an appeal. Proverbs 16, 21. Listen closely. A wise, mature person, say wise, mature person, is known for his understanding. Oh, my goodness. Pull up and listen to this. The more pleasant his words, say that, 
The more pleasant his words, the more Do you want to be blessed? Do it God's way. The more pleasant your words, the more persuasive you will be. This is what the Bible says. What are you trying to say, Steve? Well, if you've got an arrow to shoot, dip it in honey first. Honey draws more flies than vinegar does, doesn't it? Number six. Number six, trust God if they reject your appeal. Now, not one time, not one time in this entire lengthy message did I say that things will always turn out the way you want them to turn out. Have I said that? Whether they go the direction we want or if they go in the direct opposite, what do we do? We trust the sovereignty of Almighty God. This family that you spoke of, Jim, this morning, that's exactly what they did. They trusted in the sovereignty of God that whatever happened, we're going to give God glory. We're going to praise Him. and We're going to live for Him because we know He's ultimately in control of all things at all times. Again, and we know and we know. Say we know. If you know, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love God according to His purpose. Now, this is not a generic promise. This is not a promise to everybody. This is a promise to those who know God and love God. What gave Daniel the courage to stand alone and not conform to the values of this pagan culture. Daniel walked with God. Daniel walked with God. He knew God as his friend. He, he had God's presence in his life. He had God's promises in his heart. He had the power of the Holy Spirit. He had God's people around him. He had God's protection. He was fearless. Three things and we're done. Three things. Four things. Four things you need to remember when you feel like you're all alone, when you feel like you're out there all by yourself, out there on a limb with your boss, with your wife, with your husband, with your kids, with anybody else, when anybody asks you what you know is wrong to do, here's four things you need to always remember. Number one, I have the Holy Spirit in me. The child of God's never alone. Cannot be alone. Why? We have the Holy Spirit of God within me. I have the promises of God to me. I've told you repeatedly, over 7,000 promises to God's people in this book. We did the math last time. I forget what it was. It was hundreds of promises a day to cling to. I have God's family around me. I cannot preach, I cannot proclaim, I cannot encourage enough the importance to plug in and be a daily part of this fellowship. Yes, you have Jesus with you, you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, 
but you desperately, whether you know it or not, you desperately need God's people surrounding you. Why? Because we've got each other's back. We got each other's back. I have God's family around me. I have the promises of God. I have the Holy Spirit. I have Jesus with me. Let's finish with this verse out of 2 Corinthians. Don't become partners with those who reject God. Folks, listen to that. Don't become partners with those who reject God. How can you make a partnership out of right and wrong? That's not a partnership, that's war. Is light best friends with dark? Does Christ go strolling with the devil? Do trust and mistrust go hand in hand? Who would think of setting up pagan idols in God's holy temple? That's exactly what we are, each of us. We're a temple in whom God lives. God himself put it this way. I'll live in them and move in them. I'll be their God and they'll be my people. We'll leave the corruption and compromise. I'll be a father to you and you will be sons and daughters. With promises like this, dear friends, let us make a clean break with everything that defiles and distracts us both within and without. Let's make our entire lives fit in holy temples for the worship of God. Let's bow our heads together. As I said earlier, this world desperately needs Daniels today. Because sadly, character doesn't matter to most people anymore. In 2020, God is looking for men and women who are unafraid of challenging our culture, who aren't afraid of the disapproval of others. Modern-day Daniels, who have conviction and character rather than compromise and caving into the culture. Instead of conforming, we're being transformed by God. So here's, here's the challenge. Regardless of what happened in the past, your past is past. It's over. It's gone. What matters is the direction your feet are heading in today. Will you have the courage to be a Daniel in our culture? Will you have the courage to be a Daniel where you work, in your home, in your school, in your place of business? As a man of God, as a woman of God, will you be a Daniel and have the courage to stand for your convictions where you live, where you go to school? I invite everybody to pray this prayer with me silently in your hearts today. Dear God, thank you for loving me. I love you, God. Jesus, thank you for dying for me on the cross of Calvary.
Father, thank you for resurrecting him on the third day. Jesus, thank you for making intercession for me every moment of every day. God, I want to be a Daniel. I want to be a person of integrity and humility and generosity and discipline and courage. I want your blessings in my life more than I want the approval of culture. Today, I'm willing to stand unafraid and unashamed. God, you've told us what to do. Now give us the courage to do it. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Would you stand this morning? These altars are open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If you feel like you need to come and bow at the altar, please come and do that. As we sing this song, let's be obedient to the 